Welcome to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. Jackie Ressler, a divorce financial planner with almost 25 years experience, and myself, Melissa Fradenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. We are both certified divorce financial analysts and your co-hosts. If you're thinking about divorce or in the process of divorce, this is a time for you to take a deep breath and give yourself permission to gain clarity on the financial decisions you're facing. While the term wealth typically refers to money and possessions, we know that truly being wealthy means a whole lot more. Together with our guests on this podcast, we will help you live wealthy after divorce. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Wealthy After Divorce. This is Jackie Ressler, and today we have a compelling guest and topic. There are so many different ways couples can go through the process of divorce today. Having choices is fantastic, but it can also be overwhelming. How do you know which is the right process for you and your family? My guest today is attorney and mediator, Lisa Taylor, who is going to share her passion for pre-filing mediation. Lisa, can you tell us what inspired you down this path? Sure. Hi, thank you. First of all, Jackie, thank you for having me. Um, And so I am an attorney. I've been an attorney for well over 25 years. I don't really want to say how many because that dates me. But um, and then but starting about 16 years ago now, I stopped going to court and started mediating full time. And so the mediating that I do is what I what's called pre-filing mediation. So it's trying to get the couple to come to me before anybody files anything in court. So basically, you're mediating the whole case instead of litigating the case. Um, and so the purpose of it is because how I got how I got started was I found out about it in 1999. That was when I first took the civil mediator training and fell in love with it and thought this is the way that all divorces should be handled. But I wasn't able to really do that without working in the litigation process a little longer I, before I was able to, to extricate myself from that. But the truth is something like 97% of divorces settle. Most people don't realize that right. they go to trial. Like the chance that you're going to go to trial is really low. And so if you're going to settle anyway, why not start out in settlement discussion? Because what people don't realize who haven't been through it is what you have to go through in a traditional litigation divorce to get to that settlement is really horrible. I mean, it's it's a war, basically. Like your attorney's job is to zealously advocate for you. The other attorney's job is to zealously advocate for them. It is set up as a war. And so you're in war for months and months and months and months until finally you do settle it. it usually it's at a late stage mediation, but it's a different kind of mediation than what I do. And I can explain that too. But um, so I just realized why have people go through that, spend the time, the money, the stress, the horrible impact on their relationship, when we can just start out in settlement discussion. And that's what motivated me that I really want people to to be able to divorce without going to war with each other. And my little tagline is a peaceful divorce is possible. And so it doesn't mean that we don't have crying or yelling at my table because sometimes we do. But the idea is that I'm there, first of all, to help calm that down and make make that go better. But also the goal is to make it so the household is peaceful and that the future is peaceful. And so that we're figuring it all out now so that they can look forward to a future where they can, especially if they have children, co-parent their children in a better way. Um, I just don't really know how people 
effectively co-parent their children after they've gone to war with each other in the traditional litigation process. And I just, um, so I feel so much better about this. I'm a peacemaker instead of being part of the war. Um, So that's what motivates me. And then that's what I do. Um, As a mediator, I'll tell you what my job is. So even though I'm an attorney, I don't act as an attorney in these cases. So my job is really to help each party talk to each other, listen to each other, stay calm and rational and make the decisions they need to make to move forward. So I don't tell them what to do. That's what I would do if I was their attorney or if I was a judge in a court. But I do ask a lot of questions, play devil's advocate, do the best I can to make sure that they're really thinking things through in a way that's going to work for them. And as I said, I'm there to be the third party neutral facilitator to help them really stay calm and listen to each other and move forward in a productive way. So I know that you um, you touched on a little bit that pre-filing mediation. So that's, you know, be at the beginning stage. And then most cases that, that I run across, they end up in what you refer to as, as late stage or end stage mediation. Can you right. talk a little bit about how that's different, what that looks like in, in terms of how many sessions, what the conversation is like, who's leading the conversation between pre-filing mediation and end-stage mediation. Pre-filing mediation, what I do is we're going to have multiple sessions where we're going to just take one issue at a time, and I'm going to be there to help the parties discuss it. So my my belief is that since the the spouses, the parents, even if they don't have children that, you know, they're the ones who have to live with the agreement, whether it's spousal support, property debt division, or things to do with their children, they have to live with that once the agreement is signed. So my, I'm a facilitative mediator, meaning my job is to facilitate their discussion and to really help them talk it through. And so my process, we have multiple, and I limit my sessions to two hours long each. Oh, great. And that's because, yeah, because I've learned over the years that two hours is really the perfect amount of time to get a lot done without being overwhelming. I love that. After two hours, most people cannot even think about this stuff anymore, much less make decisions. And I have a divorce settlement template that I've designed for myself to make sure I bring up every issue that has to be discussed in the divorce. So we just take it one step at a time and have multiple sessions until you, they're they're done and nobody signs anything until we're done it which can be you know weeks later or mo- sometimes it's a couple months it depends on how you know how many issues and what's going on but but I don't let anyone sign it until they've had time to really review it have it reviewed by an attorney you know really thought it through rediscuss things whatever they need to make sure that by the time they sign that agreement they know that they're signing something that they can live with and that's a good good idea for them and their family So in a typical litigated case, both parties have their own attorney. One files, the other responds, and there's a period called discovery where the parties exchange financial information. Um, In your past experience as a litigator, when do those types of cases, in your experience, when did they end up at mediation and how is that different? Four to five months into it, the um, you have what's called a pre-trial or a settlement conference. That's when the judge requires all the parties and their attorneys to come to court. And the judge asks what's going on with this case. Maybe there'll be some settlement discussion with the judge. But basically, if it's not settled, then the judge is going to order the parties to late stage mediation. 
and set a trial date. So basically, now what happens is, so now hanging over the heads of that late stage mediation is that trial date. Right. Because, right, if you don't settle at at late stage mediation, you're going to trial. That's pretty scary for people. So now you go to late stage mediation. Generally speaking, because it's late stage, everyone's tired. You've been fighting for four to six months at this point. You're exhausted from fighting. You're exhausted from all the money you've spent. And just, you want it to be done. You just want to be done. The attorneys, for the most part, some love to go to trial, but many attorneys realize trial's risky. You know, you can win a trial, but you can lose a trial. And it costs a lot of money and a lot of time. And it's stressful even for the attorneys to prepare for litigation. So everyone's quite motivated to settle when you get to late stage mediation. Generally speaking, most mediators, I do some late stage, but it's frankly not my favorite thing. I like the early stage pre-filing better. But most mediators in late stage, they they will keep the parties together for maybe a brief session, a joint session to explain the rules and you know, sort of let them do some kind of introductory statement. But then they usually split them up so that one party goes into one room with their attorney, the other party goes in the room with their attorney, and the mediator goes back and forth between rooms. Or sometimes the mediator takes the attorneys out and the attorneys just meet with the mediator. So the clients are just sitting in the room by themselves without even having a voice at all. But even if it's where they're, you know, the mediator is going back and forth between the rooms, yeah, the clients only have a voice with the mediator and their attorney. So it's almost like a game of operator, if you think about it, because so mediator, right, is going into one room and talking with that that group, the, you know, the attorney and, and their client and saying, okay, here's how you should settle. And they're trying to wrangle a settlement because everyone's like, oh, you should take this deal. Here's what happened in court. And I'm telling you, you should settle this case because, oh, it's, you know, and so then then the mediator goes to the other room. So now the mediator is the one communicating to that room what his under his or her understanding was of what happened in the other room. So now you're just hearing it from the mediator's point of view and how the mediator is framing it. And so now the mediator's again trying to wrangle a settlement on that side. Well, here's what they're offering. And I think it's a good idea because, you know, you know, so forth or not a good idea or whatever. But again, trying to really wrangle a settlement. And then the mediator just keeps going back and forth and back and forth until hopefully a settlement is reached, or maybe the attorneys are going to meet. And then the attorneys and the mediator come up with a deal they think is good. And then the attorneys have to go sell it to their clients. But the main difference, there's a couple of main differences, but one of the main difference between late stage and what I do, if you if you heard how I, you know, the, the longer process and how they talk to each other, they're not talking to each other. The spouses are not talking to each other pretty much at all. So what you're describing is in typical end-stage mediation, the couple, they're not speaking to each other to negotiate their settlement, but the mediator instead is acting as a go-between between the husband and the wife or the, the spouses and their respective attorneys, which in some cases may be appropriate. Let's talk about a little bit more about how in-depth you feel your process can get. Can you give me an example of some topics that would come up in pre-filing mediation that wouldn't necessarily come up in end stage? So like I bring up co-parenting decision-making, which is 
almost never brought up in a litigated case unless the the client has the foresight to bring up these things. But something as simple as like the children's clothes. Are you going to have a wardrobe at each house? Are you going to wash the clothes? I mean, I've seen people fight about, I'm always sending clean clothes to your house. You're sending dirty clothes back to me. I'm doing your laundry. It's not fair. So those are things that people actually fight about. So why not talk about it? How do you want to handle that? Um, Signing them up for extracurricular activities. How are you going to handle that? Do you have to have consent before you do that? Do you just want to notify each other? What if one person doesn't consent? How do you want to handle that? How are you going to pay for that? Um, There's so many, all of these little details that people fight about later on. Right. My goal is let's handle it now. While you're trying to be calm and reasonable and rational, let's figure it out. And that's why my mediation process sometimes can take a couple of months because we're just going to take it. But they're so important, these issues, to figure them out so that you guys, you know, in the future can go forward and parent these children without fighting. Because you can say, hey, stop fighting. What did we agree? And now you have this settlement agreement that you can look at. Okay, that's fantastic. So one thing that um, that I want to make sure that I do, I, I wanted to ask you, who is a good candidate in your mind for this type of mediation? What is the, what is the, uh, yeah. is there an ideal client type? Yeah. To be honest, there's not really. I know a lot of people believe that you have to get along being kumbaya already, or you have to <laughs> make all your decisions already for mediation to work. But I always tell people, look, if that's true, that's great. That's a nice, easy case for me but then I don't have much to do, right? So really, um, first of all, I want to say this, that I do a pre-filing, or I'm sorry, a pre-mediation phoning, phone call with each client, a screening. Okay. And so I'm going to ask a lot of personal questions about their relationship and how they communicate and so forth. And first of all, it is a, it is to make sure mediation is appropriate for their case. But most of the time, it's just to help me design the mediation in a way that's going to make it the most effective for them. So an ideal person is really anybody who is willing to try their best to be reasonable, to understand they got to settle this case. They may as well try to figure out solutions they can both live with. That's really what I need. Um, if there's domestic violence, physical or even emotional power and control, it's it may not be appropriate. I'm not going to say it's not appropriate for mediation, but um, I would work very much with the survivor of the domestic abuse. And that that's one of the things I suss out in those pre-interview um, okay. calls, right? Um, or even if there's just like an imbalance, like one person just doesn't know anything about the finances and the other person knows everything, or one person's just really good at talking and advocating and, you know, and the other person's not. So those are the things that I'm sussing out. But that doesn't necessarily mean we can't mediate. What it might mean is I might say, you know what, I'm going to require you guys to have attorneys for the mediation. And I and that's something I do want to make sure it's clear. You can have attorneys during my process. And then the goal is for them to just help their clients settle this case within my process. Um, but sometimes people need somebody who's going to help them be an advocate for them right. to help, you know be there. Um, financial advisors like you, right? Like you are on my list. And so sometimes I'll say, you know what? I think the the weaker party needs a financial advisor just to help them just get educated. It's not so that they can, you know, um, win the war, but just so that we can have two equal bargaining partners. And that's to tell you the truth, I guess that's my ideal is that I want to have two equal bargaining partners. And that might mean I can just do it with just the two of them and me. 
but it might mean they have to have some attorneys to help equalize that process. Right. Financial advisor. Sometimes I work with a divorce coach. Right. Like a mental health professional. Yeah. Mental health professional who he, and I have someone I've worked with for many years and he mediates with me. And so he can handle if, if, you know, I'm really good at, at emotion. I, like I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I must have some innate social worker in me because I, I am good with emotion. Or I wouldn't be able to do this job that I'm doing now, but I'm not a social worker. I'm not a therapist. I'm an attorney. And so sometimes if I have determined that there's really high emotion, really, really high, like extra, or like the, the communication's really, really bad, like communication's always bad if you're getting, not always, but often very bad if you're getting a divorce. But if I sussed out, you know what, I'm going to need a little help then I'll have this um, divorce coach mediate with me. That's so, but awesome. again, Yeah, my goal is I want two equal bargaining partners with whatever we need to make that true so that everybody feels like they know what they're doing and that at the end, they sign an agreement, feel good about it. And nobody, my goal is nobody a year from now looks back on this and says, oh my gosh, what did I do, right? I don't want that at all. I want everyone to feel good about the whole process. A lot of our audience members are not from Michigan. Do you, will will you work with people in other states or are there people like you in other states that people could reach out to? There probably are people in other states that people could reach out to. I can work with anyone in Michigan because Michigan law is Michigan law and it doesn't really matter the county. Um, I guess I should say this too. I'm doing most of them by Zoom right now. So, um, and I love Zoom for it. I think it's a safety. You can, you know, be in your own space, but still we're talking to each other and working together and all those things. And I can separate you if I need to separate you. So it's beautiful, but it also allows me to work anywhere in Michigan. Right. The reason I hesitate to say that I would work in a different state is because I don't know those laws. Right. I don't know the divorce laws in other states. So um, Michigan law is Michigan law. And I, I know that very well. And my template is designed for Michigan law. Um, so I would be, even though I, you know, and I don't file anything in court, like that's not my part is the settlement agreement. Okay. Um, so yeah, but there would be people that are like you in other states. That yeah. I mean, I actually got country. this idea because I was trained um, from someone who was in California and he came to Michigan and that's how I got my family law mediator training, 40 hour training. Um, and that was in 2007. And he, he likes that in California, I guess they do this more often. So Lisa, as we're talking about the cost differential between pre-filing mediation and end stage mediation and traditional litigated process, one thing that, that, that reminds me of is that one of our main goals for wealthy after divorce for this podcast is for people to be wealthy in many ways after the divorce that's not necessarily quantifiably financial. Do you feel like that makes sense with what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. Um, First of all, I do think it's quantifiable because as I said, I do think that it costs less uh, in the long run. But yes, absolutely. You're, You're wealthier in your relationship with each other. You know, you, you, you've put much less of a dent in that already, you know, already you, you're starting divorce. You're already in a strained relationship. You may hate each other, may really, you know, whatever you're feeling, the divorce litigation process makes that even worse. And so I feel like my process makes you richer in that way and that right. you're able to hopefully get along much better after the divorce. So, you know, in that way. And um, I think your children are wealthier in that they have a much better home life, you know, their better relationship with their parents and and not feeling like they're in the middle of a war. And that is, you know, I don't think that is quantifiable how much that is worth. 
Right. And who doesn't want that? So, right. And, and that's the main reason I do this. Frankly, I am a mom of three kids and I, and I had a divorce and we, we walked the walk. Um, We were really good with each other. And I feel like that makes it so much better for the children. Um, You know, it does make them richer in the most important way um, because they can love both their mom and their dad. And, you know, you can, you can co-parent and give these kids what they need you to give them. So I agree with you. I I have the same in my personal life. My ex-husband and I are, I think, I think we are great co-parents and we respect each other and we are still a family and we, and it's so good for our children. And even with that, it's still hard for kids. So I can't imagine how difficult it is for children when their parents don't have that ability to get along. And so you making that easier for them, that does make them wealthier in so many ways after divorce. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. You can find more information on Melissa Fradenberg and Jackie Ressler on our website, www.pearlplan.com, as well as on our podcast website, www.wealthyafterdivorce.com.